if you have those three things, if you have the right team with the right deal in the right market, then you're going to do very well and you're set up for success. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. We don't get to any fluffy stuff. Today is Friday. I hope you're having a best ever Friday. And because it's Friday, we're going to be talking about something specific as it relates to what I got going on in my entrepreneurial endeavors. And we do this special segment called Follow Along Friday on Fridays. And today we're going to be talking about how to communicate succinctly an opportunity that perhaps is complicated. For example, a large 200 plus unit apartment community investment opportunity. If you have something like that, or maybe a fix and flip that isn't typical, or maybe you're just trying to simplify the fix and flip for private money, or perhaps you are raising money or bringing in capital for another venture, or maybe even you want to communicate more succinctly in general, today's episode, we're going to talk about how to do that. And I'm going to walk you through some specific examples along with my co-host on Follow Along Fridays and co-author of the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volume 1 book, and soon to be Volume 2 book coming to you in early February. Theo Hicks, how you doing, Theo? I am doing good, Joe. I'm nice and refreshed, and I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be back too. I came back from Texas and you came back from Disney World or Land. I get those mixed up. World. (laughs) Disney World. Where is that? Is that in Florida? Yeah, that's the one in Orlando. That's in Orlando. Well, welcome back and Happy New Year. Best ever listeners, Happy New Year. What we want to talk about is the way to communicate succinctly. And the way I communicate a deal is I boil it down to three categories. One is the market. 
So what's the strength or weakness of the market? So the city and the submarket that it's in, for example, if we're talking about Dallas Fort Worth, that would be the market. And then the submarket would be in the case that I'm referencing Garland, Texas. So I just closed on a 200 unit deal December 22nd, right before Christmas and New Year's. And the submarket was Garland and the market is Dallas. So I look at the market, first of all. Secondly, the deal. And third is the team. And I'm going to get into some specifics on that. But first, am I explaining that right? You following me, Theo? Yep, I'm on. On track. All right. So where I got this idea from, I was looking at my books. I've got a lot more books than I thought I did. I've had them all in storage units and in bookcases and then some in book bags. And I finally put them all in one bookcase and it fills up four or five rows. And I was looking at the books and an idea hit me. It was like, wait a second. There is one to three at most themes for each of these books, assuming that they are nonfiction. There's one to three themes Four-hour work week, optimize your time by creating systems. I mean, that's basically the theme. With a book called Raving Fans, it talks about how to add 1% on top of whatever else you do, and that will create raving fans. They go into specific ways to do that. The Master of the Money with Tony Robbins talks about how you have to be very skeptical of traditional investing methods and to invest like billionaires invest. And then he talks about how to do that. So the takeaway I got from looking at all the books that I have is that we have to be able to have one to three central themes in whatever we communicate. And when I look at my deals and when I communicate the deals to my investors, I focus on that strategy. So for example, on the 200 unit deal that we closed on in Garland, Texas, I broke it out into those three categories, the market, the deal, and the team. So specifically, the example would be for the market, I have a bullet point that DFW has the top job growth in all of the country. And Garland specifically has a very good month-over-month increase in valuation for their single-family homes and the rents for apartments is increasing 3%. So I cover the market and the submarket. And then for the deal, what I focused on with investors was it's an off-market deal and we're buying at 26% below the sales comps. So there's the deal. I also mentioned that if we have a proven model with the deal because we're projecting the same rent premiums that the current owner is getting. And then on the team, I simply mention that our team, my business partner and I, currently control over $70 million in apartment communities located in Dallas-Fort Worth. So combining those talking points that focus on each of the three categories, the market strength, the deal itself, and the team, I have things covered. Now, obviously, investors 
want to, as they should, go deeper into this information, and I provide a robust marketing package for them. But the important takeaway is that we have to have talking points that boil down the most important aspects of what we're communicating about. And so frequently we get lost in the weeds because we're close to the opportunity and we don't see the forest from the trees. And so it's important that we go through this exercise when communicating an opportunity. Again, this isn't just apartment syndication. This is preparing for presentation about how to grow your sales team if you have a W-2 job and you're a lead salesperson or if you're presenting to clients at an advertising agency. I mean, we have to boil our talking points down to bite-sized information and in categories that are most relevant. And the categories for multifamily, and I would say any type of real estate deal, quite frankly, would be market, make sure the market is strong with job growth, deal, talk about the deal, and then the team. So market, deal, team. Is one of the advantages of breaking it up into these bite-sized pieces and also kind of when you reference this getting kind of stuck in the trees and not seeing the whole forest, is that because you're so close to the opportunity and you know so much about it that when you're communicating it with investors, you kind of forget that they don't know anything about it at all. And by not focusing on all three of these aspects, you might leave out an important piece of information. Like, for example, if you don't even talk about the the team, then they might not even know to ask questions about the team. And then if a problem goes wrong with the team, then they're going to be like, oh, well, I didn't even know this was even a problem. Is that kind of a reason why you want to make sure you're breaking these down into different categories and explaining it properly? We want to break it down to different categories because those are three categories that will determine the success of the project. That's the most important thing. You've got to have the right team working on the right deal in the right market. That's it. If you have those three things, if you have the right team with the right deal in the right market, then you're going to do very well and you're set up for success. So that's why we break it out into those three categories. And the important thing to remember with all this is that we have to focus on, one, how conservative the investment is, assuming that it is conservative. And we don't want to present anything that is not conservatively underwritten. So we want to make sure the numbers are conservative when we're not stretching. And that's why when I mentioned the talking point about that particular deal I closed on a couple weeks ago, how we're projecting the same rent premiums. We bought this apartment community. We're increasing the rents by renovating units and then getting residents to pay those increased rents. We're projecting what the current owner already has done. So they renovated 25% of the units and got those rent premiums. We're simply projecting we'll do the same thing. And the number one thing that investors and myself, because I am an investor in my deals and other people's deals, just not multifamily, I invest in single family stuff with other people. The number one thing I look at is how can I lose my money in this deal? How is it possible? And then what can I do to mitigate that risk? 
And that's been my focus when I talk to investors because quite frankly, that's my focus when I invest in deals. How do I make sure I'm mitigating risk for this opportunity? And I mentioned the money masters thing with Tony Robbins earlier in the show. Well, that's one thing that billionaires always focus on is they weigh the opportunity in their favor so that they're playing with a stacked deck of cards. They make sure that they can't lose money or the downside is so small that it makes a lot of sense to do the investment. So that is why we focus on those three because that's just how a deal is set up for success. And best ever listeners, make sure that we are talking and focusing on the conservative nature of the deal and thinking through that. But maybe it isn't conservative and it perhaps it's not the right opportunity or maybe it is still a good opportunity, but the returns need to be there to rationalize or justify the risk that's associated to it. And it is a part of that process, and it's kind of going back to, just, I guess, one of the categories, the market, is a part of that process, not only analyzing the strength of the market, but kind of briefly mentioned this, but also the weaknesses as well. And if so, how do you approach, I guess, not only less about researching the weaknesses and more about how do you communicate those so that you don't necessarily freak investors out? Yeah. Well, we have to anticipate that whatever skeletons are in the deals closet will be exposed and we have to address them head on and identify if they're deal breakers or not, because if they are, then we shouldn't be in the deal. But assuming that they're not deal breakers, they're just something that isn't good. So for example, actually, this is a a real example. I was working on a development deal in Burlington, Kentucky. This was about three years ago. And Burlington is about 20 minutes or so from downtown Cincinnati, just to give everyone an idea. And when I was researching it, I saw that it's a sleepy town. There's not a lot going on. There's a lot of country stuff happening there. But it was and still is prime for continued growth because that's just where the new construction's happening. They're widening highways over there. It's a great area. So because of that, I focused on Burlington, Kentucky and this development opportunity. And when I looked at the jobs in Burlington, Kentucky, it was great. And so is Cincinnati. You know, nine Fortune 500 companies are headquartered there, a diverse industry. But one thing that I came across was that Toyota was consolidating its operations that were currently in this part of Kentucky and California. They're moving them to Texas. <laughs> They're moving them to Dallas-Fort Worth which is great for my other investments, but for this development opportunity, not so much. But I saw that it wasn't going to be a deal breaker for this Burlington, Kentucky market because there were a lot of other employment drivers. So you asked if there's something that is a bad thing in the deal, how do you address it? One, you make sure that it doesn't make the deal sour Because if so, then why the heck are we talking about the deal? We should just not do the deal. Don't force fit something. But assuming that there's just a little bit of a bruise on the deal, and in this case, having a major employer move to another market is a bruise, 
just make sure that you address it with investors and then you talk about the reasons why we're still really excited about the opportunity. And I would say that Toyota is leaving. However, Cincinnati has nine Fortune 500 companies headquartered there, and here are the other employers that make up the total employment pie for this submarket. And even with the employer leaving, the projections are still XYZ. So we address it, but then we talk about the bigger picture and why we're still excited about it. Another interesting point there is that one market's bruise in this case, or one market's this weakness can be another market's strength. In this case, you're doing research on one market and you realize that a major employer was moving to Texas. And so if you've never uncovered that weakness, you might have been able to trace that to go, okay, let's take a look at where they're moving in Texas now. Oh, wow. This place in Texas is a great place to invest. Let's just move there. Another question I have, and you kind of talked about addressing investor concerns, honestly, and addressing these weaknesses. For the newer syndicator who hasn't had that many deals under his belt or her belt, (laughs) how would you advise them to approach situations when they don't necessarily know what the answer is to some objective that occurs? The reason I'm asking that is because I would assume that people that are newer to things, when they kind of get challenged, they might make a rash reaction and kind of make something up as an answer to kind of avoid the confrontation, so to speak. And so I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I was on an investor call and the investor asked us a question about the underwriting. So the numbers and what assumptions we used. And we didn't know the exact answer at the time. And we paused the conversation and it's kind of an awkward pause for three and a half to four minutes and imagine dead air for three and a half to four minutes (laughs) while we looked it up in the spreadsheet because it was a very specific granular question. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, he said the reason why he invested is because we paused the conversation, made sure that we were providing the right information. And... Just last week, I was with an investor of mine. We were touring a deal, and he asked me a couple questions that I didn't know the answers to, but that day, I got the answers. And the two takeaways here, one, if you don't know the answer, then pause the conversation and find the answer, or two, if it's not appropriate to pause or if you can, if you're walking on a property, which we were. You're not going to whip out your laptop and start Googling stuff or talking to certain whoever you need to. Then follow up afterwards. And it's the little things that count, right? Because I'm telling you, the following up afterwards, seven out of 10 people don't do. They'll say, yes, that's a good question. I'll get back to you on that. For whatever reason, they don't. And that makes it so damn easy for us best ever listeners and myself and you to stand out because we do follow up and we do the things that we say we're going to do. Small stuff, but it goes a long way. I think just hearing that example and hearing how you paused and got that guy his answer, and it seemed like he was kind of testing you a little bit, which is looks like you passed that test with flying colors. One last question I have, and again, this is more geared towards newer investors. 
when they're talking about their team, you know, for your example, you said that what you would say is that for your previous deals and your most recent deal in the Dallas area, you said that you have a team that controls $70 million in Dallas-Fort Worth area. So for the newer investor that doesn't control a ton of money in real estate, what would be a different or a couple of other examples that they could use when they're talking about their team to investors that don't have to do with how much real estate they own because maybe they don't own enough yet or they don't own any at all? Well, you have to have team members on your deal who have gray hair or who have many years of experience doing it. Otherwise, it's too high of a risk. And there's an easy solution. There's multiple solutions. One is you partner with your property management company. They invest dollars in the deal. They get equity in the deal. Or your property management company brings in their investors and they invest in the deal and they get equity in the deal. Or you partner with brokers who are representing you or the seller on the deal. They put in their commission into the deal and they become owners and they have a track record of looking at what are good deals and what aren't good deals. So if they're putting their money into the deal, then that's a good indication that gives investors comfort. I've done all these things. I've literally done everything I just said when I was getting started. And those are ways that you can surround yourself with the right people and give investors comfort knowing that others who have more experience than you are in the deal. Hire a consultant and leverage their track record and have them as a board member on your deal. Even if they don't invest in your deal, if they're a board member for your company, then that gives some level of confidence. But really, you'll need to have someone who is investing alongside with you, like a property management company or a broker, or you might be able to pull it off if the property management company is incredibly experienced with deals like yours and has case studies to prove it. If that's the case, then you might be able to do it without the investments of a property management company, a consultant, or a broker. But I just list like six or seven solutions for that problem because I've been there. I've done it. I started with $0 in 2009 for real estate and worked my way up from there. And now it's over $100 million in assets under management. So the partnerships and alignment of interests, and those are all the players that you can partner with and have an alignment of interest with. And a quick follow-up question to that. Is that something that you did proactively or is that something that you did in reaction to an investor not having enough confidence to invest? And they were like, well, you don't have the experience, Joe. And then so then you reactively like, okay, well, now I'm going to go find experience. Or did you go into it and be like, well, here's all the people that have my team. And so you were kind of ready to give them confidence before they even asked. I wish I would have proactively done it, but it wasn't proactive on my first deal. It was a result of investors saying, I don't know about this. And then I was like, okay, how can I structure this so that there's alignment of interest? But then on future deals, some of the earlier ones, we did proactively seek out a partner, not only for the track record, but also for their balance sheet and liquidity. Because you can't get a loan unless you have 
a healthy amount liquid cash or assets and a net worth of a certain amount depending on the loan and how it's structured. So we had to partner with someone in order to get approved for loans, but then also that strengthened us for the investor conversations. And then the more deals you do, the more you can get away from that because you make less money when you partner with more people or when you partner with one person, but they are bringing a significant amount of value. So the more deals you do, the more you're able to profit because you're minimizing the partnership the more deals you do. Mm, It totally makes sense. Cool. Well, best ever listeners, to summarize, when you have an opportunity, talk about the market, talk about the deal, talk about the team, and have one or two bullet points for each of those. Be succinct and focus and reiterate on those points. There was a podcast, I forget which one, but the gentleman talking was an experienced presenter and keynote speaker for many conferences. And that's what he does for a living. And he's really good at it. And he said, initially, he would do top 10 things in his presentations until he was more exposed to other conferences and keynote speakers. And he learned that the best ever keynote speakers talk about one specific topic for the entire time. They're able to make it that interesting. And that is what I challenge all of us to do, myself included, because it's tough. But if we're able to make one topic incredibly interesting for the conversation versus having to rely on a top seven or 10 list, that's when we will be incredibly engaging as presenters, as business partners, and as people leading the charge on deals. So to wrap it up, you know what, best ever listeners, this is our last follow along Friday where We do it only on a podcast. Starting next week, we're going to do a Facebook Live from my office, and Theo and I are going to attempt to do this thing live. We will be recording it live Monday, so that is Monday the 9th at 10.15 a.m., so Monday January 9th at 10.15 a.m. Go to my Facebook page, the business page, Joe Fairless. It's facebook.com forward slash meet Joe Fairless, M-E-E-T-J-O-E-F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S. And check out the Facebook Live video. I've never done Facebook Live. Theo's going to work out all the kinks before we get going, but I'm sure there will be some things that we come across that will be fun and exciting. So... Next Monday, January the 9th at 10.15 a.m., go to the Facebook page and check out the Facebook Live video. And we're going to see how it goes. We might start doing a live Q&A thing five minutes afterwards or maybe during. I don't know. I'm not sure how we're going to evolve this thing. But there's a lot of opportunity and be a lot of fun. And in case you're curious, yes, we record follow-along Fridays earlier in the week because we have to get them edited then the editor has to put them in the queue, and then we have to do show notes and all that good stuff. So we do record them a little bit earlier. So Monday, January 9th, 10.15 a.m., 
And then if you haven't been to besteverconference.com, what are you waiting for? Go to besteverconference.com. I want to meet you in person February 24th and 25th and a lot of amazing speakers. And I will guarantee that it will be a good use of your time and investment dollars for the ticket. BestEverConference.com. Theo Hicks, great talking to you, my friend. Best ever listeners, talk to you soon. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here, February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out, besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you. Move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.